Welcome back, everybody, to the Overdue Rentals Podcast. It's the show where we're talking about movies that people don't talk enough about anymore. These are things that I remember being like, hey, I can't, I can't turn left or right without anybody not mentioning this film. And all of a sudden, it's not being mentioned. I'm Matthew Shuckman. I'm Cinema Lens Mike Reyes. But also, we do happen to talk about some obscure movies that people may not have been talking about uh that's just the mix of things you'll find when you go through our back catalog wherever you ethically source your podcasts but today is definitely one from the former category where this had so much buzz a lot of award it was a financially successful film it is an award winning player with a cast uh that is astounding to even recall but Not enough people are talking about Ben Affleck's Argo. Well, I don't want to interrupt you, Mike, because there is one person we know who's definitely talking about it. Our guest today. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. I totally ruined it for everybody. If you're if you're hoping your host will segue in there, because if that's, (laughs) I don't think it is an interruption. Well, that all being said, I'm just going to continue with my interruptions now. No, because we are joined by co-host of uh, Geek History Lesson and video producer for Popverse, Miss Ashley Victoria Robinson. Hello. I'm, I'm here. I'm Canadian. I'm here to talk about how this movie is like the hockey season. Canadians do all the work. Americans get all the credit. Let's go. <laughs> yeah, we're, just, we're definitely going to get to that. I know we're going to get to that for sure. <laughs> do you, are you saying the movies lied to me? Oh, this movie or just the concept of movies? <laughs> Lied well, I was to kidding you. about both, but I'm, 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 I'm sure, I'm sure <laughs> that you know. Well, obviously, we'll get into it. Let's do it. Well, yeah. Well, let's jump off from that point. Then, is this the kind of thing, like a movie that you, when you first saw it, you like? I just really enjoyed it. Great movie. But then, as you remembered or looked back into it. You started to kind of have a seething different feeling for it? <laughs> <laughs> no, I like this movie. I will like preface this by saying like, this is a white person's interpretation of an incredibly complex conflict in the Middle East and is not sensitive to that at all. And also Ben Affleck, a white man is fully playing a POC. And this was before we thought that was bad. Uh, so if wait, you can- wait, 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 Ben Affleck doesn't look like the type of person that would play. Let me just check my notes here. Tony Mendez. I will say, Ben Affleck with long hair and a beard, very hot. I am here for it. And Kyle Chandler with the same like 70s. Like I'm very here for the hairy guys. Oh, the 70s. Everyone plays in this movie. Oh, good. Everyone looks good. This is an attractive cast, I have to say. For like a thriller, this is a good looking, like Cranston in the wig, chef's kiss. (laughs) Oh, Cranston, whenever. Just Cranston, whenever. And then, you know, I, I have to... To include Mr. Victor Garber, because I've always had always had a soft spot in my heart for that Canadian well, that legend. Was, Canadian. That was a thing. Yeah, it's like one of those things where it's like, all right, so whether or not you want to start arguing about the Ben Affleck's what, like one sixty third and a thousandth Mexican, yeah. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. Like, but they did cast a Canadian to play the Prime Minister. But let's so, so for people who haven't seen it yet, let's just run down first the entire cast. Again, it was directed by Ben Affleck written by Chris Terrio, but it stars Ben Affleck. And this is in order of how Wikipedia has it, for mm-hmm. instance. So it's not, you know, trying to put people in certain, uh, you know, hierarchies here. But Ben Affleck, Brian Cranston, Alan Arkin, my love, John Goodman, Victor Garber, Tate Donovan, Cleo Duvall, Adrian Barbeau, who I totally forgot was in it for a while, mm-hmm. Scoop McNeary, um, Chris Messina. I 
I, you know what? I love him Very so much, guy. but I always forget how to pronounce his name, which is Zelchok Iv- Ivanak. I can't, I don't know if I'm pronouncing it name. Well, I always loved him. Don't know if I, I never pronounced his name, right? Ivanak, but that's- yeah, Thank you, thank you. Richard Kind. Titus uh, Welliver. Sheila Van, yeah. before Sheila Van started becoming a real thing. Mm-hmm. There's so many people in this movie. And- Bob Dutton and Philip Baker Hall in one of my favorite scenes of the film because of how <laughs> it's introduced, and we'll go into that in a moment. Yeah, well, you can go into that right now, but I guess first for people who have never seen the film, you know, who are listening to this, who kind of want to listen, hear us talk about it first before watching it, it is based on a true story, air quotes, quote unquote, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. based on a true story about uh, a CIA plan to go in and rescue some fug- uh, fugitives, uh, listen to me, <laughs> some refugees in I Iran. I see your biases coming. <laughs> <laughs> some refugees in, who are stuck in Iran uh, in the late 70s, uh, after, uh, well, I won't go through the whole reason why they're there, but they're there, and the cl- plan they come up with is to fake making a sci-fi movie in Iran so they can go in and free and rescue these refugees. Yeah, that that's sounds a, that's good. This is a very succinct distillation of the yeah. movie. <laughs> it opens with it opens with title cards, like that is how much history goes into the film before you even get to the first frame. Well, Mike, talk about that scene so you can go into it because let's 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 start there. Well, before that, I do think that it was very interesting to open the film with sort of like the storyboarded, you know, Cliff's Notes dummies version of like, you know, where the Iranian government was at that point and how the culture had changed leading up to the Iran hostage crisis that this film eventually, you know, sort of adjoins to. Yeah, and they don't even, even technically don't give you the real beef of the matter as much as, uh, you know, how it all happened. If, unless you don't know the history books, it doesn't actually give you all of that information. It yeah, just no, gives you a little smidgen. Yeah, it's very much like short white paper. Okay, I've got a briefing in five minutes. Give me the dying tour, sort of. Yeah. Like if this was a fictional film, like this is basically the speech that someone would give to sort of, it'd be the expo dump where it's like, okay, I've got a meeting with the president in five minutes. You have to explain this to me in three. You don't think it's Kate Blanchett coming over going, the world has changed. <laughs> There's hostages in Iran. I feel it in the water. Could you imagine if Kate Blanchett <laughs> just becomes like the new Edward Harriman? Where it was like I Edward Harriman always did like the History Channel narration. And now like Kate Blanchett sort of takes that. It's like everything feels like it's Middle Earth. Laura Lenny's just shaking her fist in the corner being like, I've been here all along. Motherfuckers! <laughs> you you ignoring me this whole goddamn time! <laughs> I would love her to get that sweary, though. That would be quite something. Oh, I just love it. That's, a, that's another person I love, Laura Lenny. Just mm-hmm. sidetracking, sidetracking, I know. Yeah, well, that's the thing. I don't want to get sidetracking now where, like, I don't dislike Laura Lenny, but I always had some weird thing with Laura Lenny where I just never really liked her that much. Have you seen did John you Adams? No, I never did, actually. I never, I never, the, the miniseries on HBO you're talking about, right? Yes, with Paul Giamatti, yeah. one of America's finest actors. Oh, no, I actually, favorite, I actually have favorite right now. <laughs> she's great it's, in it. <laughs> it's not, and it's not against Laura Linney as an actress. Uh, I, I think, she's but it's fine. against her as a person. I understand. Yeah, it's just something about <laughs> her. Just like no, not even as a person. Just I just look at her and I'm just like, okay, bye. I don't not 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 in a, not in a that, that sounds wrong because I don't mean it like that. I just I just mean it's You're like never anybody just be like, there's something about you that's just like weird for me. I don't know what it is. As that's me and Laura Linney. I'm sorry, Laura. She's going to walk by you someday at the Starbucks and be like, bye, girl. Bye, Felicia. No, thank you. <laughs> this motherfucker over here. He has a harbor. He's just harboring that grudge from Dave. 
That's what she's going to get charged with assault for. (laughs) I'm harboring that grudge from Congo, honestly. Oh, dear. But. Wow, that's that's a deep cut there. Wow. That's that's, that's, that's for another time because we're we're, are going, not Congoing. That doesn't really rhyme or make any sense. I just thought it would sound good. I don't know. The slant rhyme with the O's. Yeah. Congoing. That's almost like some sort of lost, like, Hope and Crosby movie. (laughs) be great if somebody digs that out now um but look all right so compare look we talk about a lot of films we talk about stuff that just came out sometimes so argo is technically now 10 years old Mm -hmm. we're we're, we're, we're on the decade mark we're getting there because it did premiere august 31st in telluride oh my god wow so yeah we're almost literal october 12th is the the full official you know real boy release date or real kid release date but yeah I remember going to the press screening for it. Did you guys see it at, at any special screenings or did you actually want to see it or just happen to run across it? I saw it in an act. I think I saw it in, this was shortly before, this is like a couple of years before I became like official, official on the press. Mm. I was doing like indie blogs at this point, I think. And, you know, I was still keeping abreast of these sorts of things. And I went when it was released and then it went again with friends when, uh, the best picture showcase rolled around because this was around the time that my friends and I would go to the AMC best picture showcases every year and try to keep up with all the Oscar movies and, you know, watch the awards together back when, you know, we felt like that was the thing to do. Uh, I was in school and not working when this movie came out. Okay. And I did also did not want to see this movie when it came out because this was in my anti-Ben Affleck period of my life. Oh, okay, all right. And then uh, I was like, Geely, you're dead to me. I don't think I'd seen a single, single thing he'd ever been in up to that point um, in defense of Ben Affleck, who was doing fine. And then I watched it for the first time in 2015. Okay. And Jason Inman said, you should watch this movie. It's pretty good. Uh, and around the time that either he was rumored or confirmed to be Batman. And I was like, Ben Affleck, Batman, I don't want to see that. <laughs> and it was like, well, why don't you like watch him as an actor and a director and then make up your opinion? Wouldn't that be nice? And uh, now, ironically, he's my favorite on-screen Batman. And uh, mm. my preferred Batman is fully like 47 years old. So like he was the perfect Batman gotcha. when he played Batman. Um, and I really liked the movie at the time. I liked it again watching it, like I said, save for being like, oh, wow, you're a white guy with a, <laughs> a very questionable wig at the beginning of this. You know, it's, it's, it's a strange thing, actually, because technically Ben Affleck's best acting roles have all been when he's directing himself. Mm-hmm. And then he has other directors and he just doesn't seem to be able to do it. I'm like, well, why? Like, I guess he just refuses to believe that he has to do anything other than what somebody literally tells him to do i don't know what the deal is but it's a very strange situation in my mind maybe he's just got trouble with authority (laughs) (laughs) he so he wants so he's it's more him purposely just being like no i'm not doing what you're telling me yes that's stupid about it that's exactly what i'm saying (laughs) (laughs) he he shows up to set and he's like i am here to read my lines but cause trouble all right so since you watched it three years after and Mm -hmm. definitely after it had won the awards and a lot of the back, not, I don't want to say backlash, but I guess this backlash came out about the film. Did you know about all that stuff before you sat and watched it? Did it affect the way you saw it? Or did you, were you able to go in not knowing about that? I sure knew not a thing about this movie before I watched it, <laughs> including okay. the historical context, which 
uh, I think actually makes the movie as a film, as a story and as a journey with these people much more accessible. Like having the historical knowledge or doing any kind of research is is helpful, but it doesn't live or die on your knowledge of the sociopolitical environment of the 1970s Middle East. It lives and dies on Affleck's performance and then the ensemble around him. Mm. So it was not until, I didn't know there was any controversy around this film until I did some research to come on this podcast. And I was like, what? I thought this was <laughs> beloved. It won a bunch of awards. Oh my goodness. I clutched my white lady pearls. I didn't know what was going on. <laughs> well, you know, that's the thing because it, it, it was definitely when it first came out, beloved. And people still will talk about it you know, as, as being made as a film compared to trying to be against history. But I think that's, mm-hmm. There are plenty of things you can have that discussion with with all films from the past, present, future. But I think Argo ends up now being like the great example of where you have to divide that line between seeing a movie as entertainment that is based on a true story that doesn't mean it has to be very specifically the perfect retelling of that history. I understand we want people to not lie to us. We want people to things to be on the the level and we want things to be... And I'm not talking about just like the whole... Ben Affleck playing a guy named Tony Mendez, you know, just like, again, you know, the, the big thing is, is that this is much more of the Canadian's government's operation compared to the U.S. and it was not played that way, but that's also why we have documentaries, I guess. I'm not mm-hmm. trying to make it so black and white, but it's an interesting thing to go with, to talk about the idea of where a film can be entertainment, be somewhat thrilling to a point, even if you know the ending or not, uh, what happens in real life, and still get enough a po- uh, about the point across while still fudging some of the numbers. <laughs> some. <laughs> well, it's, it's weird. You know, like I, you, you would go into every film saying based on a true story, knowing that that's not really the true story. And at this point, you should be aware of that. So I think that we have to give things a little bit of leeway now, unless they're trying to really change your mind on something where they just lied about the whole thing like completely right and uh there are definitely i'm not going to say the name or evoke the person in that picture but there are definitely projects particularly coming out right now that are sort of interest interested in editorializing a little more i don't i don't are we talking are we talking about uh fidel castro <laughs> no, we're not. Okay. <laughs> but now we um, are. But uh, I will say this: you guys want to do the six-hour epic Che? I'll come back for that. That's a oh, great. okay, yeah, yeah. Oh. Uh, I, I I enjoyed those movies as a piece of fiction. Um, but I I don't think the forces behind Argo. I don't think it's malicious the way that the um incongruencies is that a word perhaps yeah. uh i come across i think that it was i think the focus of this uh film is much more entertainment driven and i think if you could meet it there and like be happy to do some of the heavy lifting yourself it's it's a great piece of drama and it's like it's a great performance nobody nobody sucks in this movie which is shocking there's usually like one or two people where you're like well i guess maybe like you're someone's friend or cousin or whatever like everyone is doing a really really good job and it's tense like this is only a two-hour movie and it's it's a little bit of no thoughts just vibes like you're here to be uncomfortable for the full two hours no yeah it's an absolute it it is just absolutely a fantastic historical drama Mm -hmm. not so much a docudrama and again this is these are things that i was i've thought of with other movies like going into 13 lives recently like i haven't seen that was, well, it's very interesting how uh, Ron Howard said he wanted to go into that as journalistically as possible. And he does it. 
Like, it's amazing that you cast like Colin Farrell and Viggo Mortensen and Tom Bateman and Joel Edgerton, but they're not distracting casting. And like, I guess because of the roster that's in Argo, no one that's in here is like, it's not distracting to see, you know, Philip Baker Hall or Mm -hmm. Alan Arkin or John Goodman. Like everybody is hitting on the same level here. And again, great historical drama. And that's that's the word that kind of really needs to, those two words need to be together when discussing Argo. Alan Arkin's turn to be like grumpy grandpa is one of my favorite progressions of a film career of all time. I love him when he swears. He's It's like when Peter Capaldi swears. I'm like, yes, it's Sid Sweary Dad from Skin season one. I'm here for it. But the other interesting thing about Argo for me personally is I hate movies about Hollywood. It just feels like a lot of people being like, aren't we great? We're yeah. so great. Mm. And I think Argo actually threads that needle really well. Like the line of like, wait, and this is the trailer line, of course, you want to work in Hollywood, be a movie, make movies, but not do any actual work. You'll fit right in. Like that's really funny. And it's like deeply, deeply true at the same time. So it's as biting as it is reflective of the actual Hollywood players who were involved. And if you live in LA or you come here often, it's fun to be like, I know where those offices are. That area is not nice. (laughs) (laughs) Well, exactly. I mean, that's it, it, it. Again, that's what sort of separates this from something like the artist or, you know. The- uh, yeah, of the same time period, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, it was only like, what, like a year prior? I think so. A year, a year or two before this, the artist won Best Picture. And then, of course, you know, Argo goes on to win Best Picture. But it's really interesting how, you know, the, the day that we're recording this, uh, the first photos from Damien Chazelle's Babylon started mm-hmm. hitting the internet. Oh, I, I didn't even know that. Oh, it looked, that. That's another one that looks very good because it's a movie about Hollywood, but it doesn't look like prim and sort of like, it looks like it'll be lionizing it to a certain extent, but also go into the sort of seedy underbelly. At least that's what I'm hoping. Hmm. And especially with the 1920s and that sort of era, that would be really wild. But in the case of Argo, it's not so much exposing any sort of underbelly, but it's just really wild that there is this true historical event where you know, the the details in here and the in, involvement of whoever to a certain extent, that's all fudged Hollywood mm-hmm. magic. But what isn't fudged is the fact that this was a true fake movie that was created <laughs> for the sole purpose of of running this whole, uh, the, the, the event has been known as the Canadian caper to some. But mm-hmm. basically this is, the, the, that was the whole pretense to run this. And that's just, I mean, it's wild. <laughs> like we we hear like i'm sure matthew can vouch for me on this we hear it over to your rentals have no problem with politics and hollywood crossing over together uh go listen to our wag the dog episode <clears throat> oh, oh i, th- I thought you're gonna keep going after that sorry <clears throat> sorry I was, I was taking a moment there but yeah like you know argo is a little more reality based but still it's like the big con the big fake that you know this this is not going completely off the point but what I found interesting, I would say, is again, in doing the research before we, we sat and talked, is that there were even smaller things that are <clears throat> changes I would make to any movie, to any story that I was adapting that I would not consider egregious, like the whole, like we've been talking about Ben Affleck as Mexican, you know, which government really had a hand in this, to where the fact that the original script for the movie in the real life, because they changed it to Argo, but they had taken an actual book and script and changed it, it was Lord of Light. 
and which is you know which is basically you know a big you know a game of thrones kind of thing as well i just mm-hmm. thought that was kind of funny it's just just interesting it's nothing has nothing to do apropos of nothing i just found it interesting as now all these weird pop culture things are crossing over in places we never thought they would and this movie having been made before the Star Wars reboots, they kind of drag Star Wars and what it did to the film industry and what it has inspired since then. And that made me tee-hee-hee the whole movie <laughs> long. Every time we dragged Star Wars, I was like, this is very funny to me personally and no one else. <laughs> well, that's that's imagine, kind of brilliant. Oh, so go ahead, Mike. You imagine an era where like Star Wars, was, Star Wars was still a dormant like IP. Like that's... That's something we've seen twice in our lives because it was like the lead up to the prequels and then after the prequels, it sort of went into dormancy again. And now we'll never be without a Star Wars ever. I find that that's what's funny about this whole thing too is because in the real life actual operation, thinking about that is kind of crazy because yes, there's been sci-fi before Star Wars. And Mm -hmm. I think in in, in the history, Tony Mendez talked about how his son watching, uh, or in the movie they did it, about his son watching Planet of the Apes is what kind of inspired it. But the fact that Star Wars itself filmed in Tunisia yep. made you- it possible for them to say, well, we want to fit, find these locations to film some sci-fi thing. So it, it's just this crazy overlap of how it made the real thing work and then being able to then also kind of chide, chide uh, you know, jokes about it in, in your movie. The wild thing about Tunisia is you can't even make a movie in Tunisia right now at the time of this recording. Like that was very of the time. It's, it's, what's also like, you know, just like everything as time passes and people find new ways to, you know, kite the system, whatever it is, locations again. Yeah. We were always so used to, it was the eighties. You were watching a movie in New York. Oh no, it was Vancouver or Toronto. You know, they, they always find these places and somebody's it's just going to find the next place and they're just all going to film everything Toronto. there. Yeah. <laughs> so very interesting connection that sort of brings us all roundabout that I kind of forgot, but all of a sudden it just touched into my mind. Um, Chris Terrio was also a writer on a little film called Star Wars, The Rise of Skywalker. And hey. Batman vs. Superman. Oh, and yeah. the Batman, I believe, in an early, early. Interview. Oh, did it? I did not know that. I still want Ben. I at least I, I would at least want to read Ben Affleck's solo same. Batman movie. Same, hard same. You know, but I mean, Chris Terrio does have this really interesting pedigree. Like, I mean, if I'm not mistaken, didn't he win the Best Adapted Screenplay Oscar for this film? Yes. Mm-hmm. And what was? Oh, speaking. No, of- not what's is, is it considered? Yeah, because right, because of Tony's book, it is adapted. Sorry. Yeah. Speaking of, yeah, adapted from The Master of Disguise by Antonio J. Mendez, which sounds exactly like the type of person you would imagine Ben Affleck playing. I mean, Charles <laughs> We're doing the Star Wars thing to Affleck now. That's what we're doing. We're just do making remember, all those jokes. Do you remember the huge kerfluffle that there was over actually announcing the award? Because if I'm not mistaken, I think it was Michelle Obama that got to announce the best picture winner for that year. I, I only, I do not remember it happening in looking back things again, preparing for the episode. I saw photos and the, the caption, Michelle Obama in like remote from the White House giving best picture to Argo. And I just do not remember it at all. Yeah, I mean, well, that was one or two, one of two kerfluffles that were remembered that night. Uh, the other, well, there were several because that was the night that Seth MacFarlane hosted, which I'm going to go on the record with a hot take. I think he's been the best Oscar host in a while. And I liked that year's ceremony. That's probably the last year I liked. I'll disagree. (laughs) 
I'll also respectfully disagree. <laughs> well, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna tell you. Fuck you. You're our guest. So <laughs> you can politely I'm, tell me. So politely fuck you. I'm holding a knife. I was thinking. I was don't thinking come at words. me. I was thinking politely fuck you, and it's like, oh well, I don't know. But then the I was like, I have a sword over there on the wall. Should I go get it? <laughs> Ooh, Even though we're not in person, no. prepare to defend yourselves at all moments. <laughs> but then, of course, there was the. Um, Ben Affleck's uh, victory speech or acceptance speech where he very much sort of, uh, I guess those were the first public cracks we saw in his marriage with Jennifer Garner. Uh, Saying something along the lines of like, you know, marriage being hard, but it's worth it or or something like that. I don't remember any of this. Yeah. I mean, I I wouldn't be surprised if more people remembered those things over the film. And that's another reason why it's on over to rentals because it... (laughs) It really is just uh, the way that this film dives into history, mm-hmm. but then has such a wonderful current of humor. And I'm going to circle back to the scene that I was going to talk about earlier, because <laughs> this is something that, uh, again, a certain group of friends of mine and I saw this when it came out. And um, one of my best friends, Chris and I, we kind of see ourselves as like the Stadler and Waldorf sort of pair of friends. Okay. So it has been- oh, a- oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, Mike. Are you Stadler or Waldorf? I don't even remember. Oh, but I remember what I do remember is we've kind of held this as a long running joke between the two of us because there's the beautiful scene where Brian Cranston is bringing Ben Affleck to see Bob Gutton and Philip Baker Hall's, you know, government analysts. And he's like, brace yourselves. It's like talking to those old fucks from the Muppets. (laughs) Hands down, one of my favorite lines out of this. And it's like (laughs) historical drama that has a quotable line like that. In an era where some people write think pieces like, oh, well, the Academy Awards nominees uh, don't speak to the public because they don't have quotable moments. Mm. Meanwhile, I think there's about a handful of Wolf of Wall Street quotes my friends and I will still use to this day. Also, Lord of the Rings won Academy Awards and that whole franchise is imminently quotable. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, but I mean, you know, someone would probably say that you could pull from all three, but other people will tell you it only counts as one. Well, the, collectively, they did win 13 Academy Awards, yeah. so... They didn't wait until um, it was about to be over before they gave it everything. That's, that's they picked, they, waited, they waited for the best one. I will put oh, anyone see, on that. I'm gonna just, <laughs> I think Two Towers <laughs> is the best one. Even though it has the more continuity errors, Two Towers, as far as storytelling goes, I think they did the best version film-wise uh, of, of creating that, uh, personally. That's what I'll say. What if Ben Affleck had played Aragorn? <laughs> I don't, I mean, don't you think the Elvish people would have been incens- incensed by that? By Ben Affleck playing Aragorn? Yeah. <laughs> they would have found, they would have found something about his past that didn't, didn't match at all. <laughs> but, you know, it's funny, Mike, because you you talk about that being, not your only memory of the film, of course, but like the, the main memory of, of something that pops up when you think about the film. And what where I my memory comes from is what I think actually makes it a good film no matter what, whether you have problems, again, with the with the politics, the history, whatever you want to call it, mm-hmm. is, is that, again, I didn't know the entire story or remember the entire story, but I knew they got out. Yeah. But you still felt that tension kind of when they're on the runway, even though it never played out like that in real life and all the other oh, stuff. Yeah. You felt it, which is what makes good filmmaking. And that's why you go back and say, this is a good movie because they did a good job at portraying that because if they can make you feel that, even though you know the opposite, then they've done their job right. 
Exactly. I mean, this reminds me of another film that I don't know if this is on the list or not, but if it isn't, I'm putting it on the list. Uh, 13 Days, movie about the Cuban Missile Crisis. Mm -hmm. with I don't know if it is or not. That's a good question. That is a fantastic, like, top-notch historical drama. Like, I don't know how accurate it was. And obviously, it's very much a movie about rah-rah Kennedys and avoiding the Cuban Missile Crisis. But it is, like, top-notch thriller work. I'm going to go ahead and say, I'm changing the subject a little bit. Because now I'm thinking about it. Because we're talking about, again, trying to adapt the true life story and make it entertaining for Hollywood. Or, you know, again, um, the idea that uh, there, there's only so much you can do with these kind of stories. Because oddly enough, I can't remember now who the podcast was. And I apologize. I'll look it up. I'll put it in some text for everybody who, who listens to this. So they can read it ahead of time. For worse. But I had <laughs> oh God no. <laughs> uh, I had I had meeting. <laughs> I had saw an ad for it a while ago, so I listened to it about and this is gonna this is gonna tie into Argo. Don't worry about how you, you guys are uh, familiar with the uh, Queen's Reich song uh, "Winds of Change." Mm -hmm. Okay, so apparently the story goes is that that was written by the CIA to help break down. Berlin Wall, uh, well, you know, issues between Russia and then also through Germany and the Berlin Wall and so on and so forth. And uh, apparently what they did, they actually talked to Tony Mendez's widow because she has paperwork that apparently kind of not tied this. It, was, it wasn't, he had nothing to do with it. It was just like the idea of like going back to talk about how the CIA had hands in these things. Yeah, I think I remember, if I remember the podcast well enough it was really like very inclusive and was probably kind of bullshit and they actually ended up talking to the singer about it and he, go, and he very vehemently is like no absolutely not <laughs> I, I wrote that i remember oh, walking down I the know. park I, I remember know. i remember being in gorky park uh you know in russia and, and just like you know thinking about these things he's like the but, kgb still exists Shut the yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> but it's so interesting <laughs> but like how do you make that interesting in a hollywood sense i don't mm -hmm. think you can and that's where you have to play around with things. And I understand, like, if you again, you don't have to make the movie about it. But if you were, it makes sense where you make these changes. Right, like the scene where they go to the spice market where they're sort of practicing their personas the day before. And it, it, it looks like it's going to come to blows because of cultural insensitivities on the Americans' parts, of course. Uh, I doubt that is what actually happened in real life. But to heighten... Also, if you're like me and you're an anxious flyer, you don't need the heightening before they get on the plane. Mm -hmm. Like I was anxious that the plane was going to just like crash and not ever take off. <laughs> but to heighten the final choice of like, is he going to abandon them? Are they going to make the escape? Are they going to get into Iranian, uh, out of Iranian airspace? And the, the way they illustrate that with um, removing the alcohol from the plane as they enter an Islamic country, I thought was like really smart without having to be like and now we've crossed the border friends like the cut to them opening the champagne and the fact that nobody else is like can you keep it down is is good enough <laughs> i i feel so bad for for going back to this i apologize but i realize there are gonna probably be listeners who are gonna be very angry at me that i call winds of change a queen's rock song i meant scorpion Cancelled off the internet. You don't get to be on Twitter anymore. <laughs> well, welcome to Overdue Rentals with Mike Reyes. Uh, Matt, <laughs> cancelled, but it's okay. Neither of us uh, corrected you, so clearly nobody was on top of the game. <laughs> oh, it, it, it all it comes from all of us. That damn cancel culture. 
I just, in my head, I was like thinking about it. Like, I know it's scorpions, but like that Queensryche emblem just popped in my head and I said (laughs) Queensryche and I went with it. And uh, yeah, I blame you guys for not, for not calling me back on that, but I'm sorry, back to the more important story (laughs) of Argo. (laughs) I've got, you know, this is just something that popped into my mind while we're recording this. Um, because of all the historical inaccuracies and all the, the goosing up that you get with some of these movies that purport themselves as more, as closer to the truth. I would love to see someone compare, like maybe this is just a podcast that someone could do, or maybe we could do a mini, a mini series like this, but it's like, which is more historically accurate Inglorious bastards or random historical drama of the day. Random historical trauma of the day. Sorry, I just wait. There's no possible way that Glorious Bastards could be more historically accurate than any of those things. Yeah, but the whole point is considering how some how some of these stories have been altered to the point where based on a true story, yeah. a bit more loose. More of a suggestion. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I would love to find like a, a movie that purports itself as more of a truth that somehow, in some way, shape, or form, finds itself uh inferior to how inglorious bastards handled history and if we find that movie that will probably literally be the worst historical drama ever i'm going to counter off you with this uh and uh <laughs> take this as uh overdue rentals official copywriting this idea so you can't take it away from us anybody we're copywriting that other one too just in case <laughs> we should just start taking all historical movies and doing our own research and start grading and do a podcast grading Ooh. on how accurate they are that would be really cool and a great opportunity to get experts in those fields on. Because I was I gonna say ask. you best you best be hiring a research assistant for that. <laughs> that, would, that would, like that's something that we would absolutely need experts to come on and discuss those because another your, your shared infinite free time. <laughs> and, oh yeah, loads. It's not like we have careers. It'll be good because what we can do is we can do the bare minimum version. We don't have to go and you know buy some huge massive tome that somebody did on on the history of something. We'll do the we'll watch the movie. We'll do the uh, bare minimum version of the research, which is not saying we sh- we won't do the research. I'm just saying we'll take all of the generic stuff that people put on the internet about it first. Mm. Take that as our base point, then get the expert in to then correct and and fix all the inaccuracies so we can get to that final grade. That way we learn a lot of stuff on our own. We don't waste ourselves killing, we don't kill ourselves by overly taking away from the time we don't have at this point. Uh, and uh, then we get something good for everybody to listen to. No, absolutely. I uh, wanted to take this moment to drag the Mary Queen of Scots movie for how inaccurate that is compared to the biography upon which it is based. But I Bo do Williams think- one? Yes. Oh, I had such boring. hope. And they dashed them by disrespecting Elizabeth I. But I think <laughs> what's interesting about Argo in particular, since this is the subject at hand, um, is that nobody who was involved in this publicly disavowed this movie. And nobody's estate publicly disavowed, which happens with like almost every biopic in the history of ever. Uh, and this is not strictly a biopic, certainly, but I think when you look at when you look at it and you compare it to some other movies that do similar things. Um, I think that's very interesting. So everybody, at least publicly, was paid well enough for their rights to be happy with how the movie turned out. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, we, we should say that the people, like like we said, you know, there have been people that said, well, this wasn't right, but yes, the ultimate goal at the end of the day was like, but well, that's really kind of what happened. Yeah, yeah. 
which also feels like the public school version of teaching history. So maybe they're doing all of us a collective favor by putting out this movie, <laughs> making us a little bit smarter than we were before. Well, that's what I like about no matter how accurate movies like these are, if it's a thrilling enough narrative, it's going to inspire people to go and read more about it and yeah. then mm-hmm. their minds and, and, and overhaul their knowledge because of it. Uh, another movie I, I would think we may get to talk about in not too long from now is uh, Netflix released Operation Mincemeat. Oh. I liked that movie. It was so good. It's got it's- two Mr. Darcy's in it. Too. <laughs> and it has the ever wonderful Johnny Flynn as Ian mm-hmm. Fleming. And I loved the yeah. little Ian Fleming nuggets that they threw in there. I still I still haven't seen it. Again, I know Mike and I we talked about this because there was the they made what what was it, nineteen fifty-three they made uh, a version of it. You know, they made it was it was the the um, not the what was it? oh my god, I can't remember the name of the movie. The man who never existed, I think is what they called. I can't remember the name of the movie now. It was very bad. This is very poor of me to, to not remember properly. How dare you cancel for the second time? I mentioned something randomly and you don't fucking know the facts behind it. You're gone. You're Welcome shit. back to Overdue Rentals with Welcome Mike back to Reyes. Rentals with Mike Reyes and Ashley Victoria Robinson. Yeah. I'm, I'm the diversity hire. Go fuck yourself. <laughs> that, the, I don't know if that was true at all, but that little is, um, is so funny and they should have used it more in the marketing Whoever ran the Twitter campaign on that, big missed opportunity, my friend. Well, that was still in like the nascent days of like- I know, we didn't have social voting, media. But still, like someone, there had, there had to have been some sort of visionary or like intern that's like, why don't we put this on t-shirts? Why don't we make right? that? Someone's like, sure, Twitter, people are gonna use that to market movies. <laughs> Can you imagine Alan Arkin in an Argo Fuck Yourself t-shirt? Like, I would pass away from delight. It would be so great. Oh, <laughs> and then he's got like this nice jacket over it and the aviator sunglasses. Absolutely. Like, how do you not promote? He goes to Venice to promote the movie like that. <laughs> Which I mean, I'll be honest with you. you just give me any shirt with Alan Arkin's face on it and I'll take it. I don't have to be anything with dealing with Argo. I just I love Alan Arkin, so. You just put Alan Arkin's face on it and it has Argo Fuck Yourself on the yeah, bottom. Yeah. Like, like, like those shirts that they make with Nick Cage just face just all over them it's just alan arkin's face over it so like oh there's a little miss sunshine oh great yeah or yeah the pillow where you yeah where you're like it's his face but then when you brush it across then it has the argo fuck yourself <laughs> i have the page version of that because a friend of mine sent that to me in the mail randomly but i would love an argo fuck yourself version of that that would go on the shelf I think, can, I think this is the kind of thing you can just like send somebody a request on etsy and they'll make it for you i was gonna say if you all don't have um, a merch store there's a great idea for your for sure we need a merch store we need a patreon yeah, I yeah you, coming soon give us so much money oh, no but seriously you should get a patreon <laughs> oh no we right. we're Everybody coming soon. Don't worry about it. We're working on it. In your infinite free time. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome back to infinite free time. That's the the behind the paywall podcast. (laughs) It's all the dog shit things that we watch in between all the good things. Like Love Island Australia season one. Here we come. Oh my God. Oh my God. Love Island just appear on the podcast. What? (laughs) (laughs) You're welcome. As a, as a Canadian, I had to evoke another Commonwealth country before we wrapped up today. <laughs> I love how, I love how though, the, the sound of your phone is crickets, though. That was great. It would have been great if we weren't talking and all of a sudden it came on. That, that was my brilliant. reminder to manifest for the day. So <laughs> I'm a professional. I turn off all my devices except for my woohoo, uh, my woohoo <laughs> reminders. <laughs> I You know, I think it should be said before we, before we start to wrap things up, I think it should be said that 
as much as we talked about the idea that, because uh, I think I mentioned that, that, you know, there are documentaries if you want, like the real information. Unfortunately, we come to a point though where even documentaries are skirting a lot of the information. Mm-hmm. So it's so hard to like, which is, it was just where it becomes interesting where like, um, where was I? I was, at, I was at Tribeca this year. I was watching the documentary about um, Leonard Cohen and, and, and the song Hallelujah. Another Canadian! Yeah, well, Leonard Cohen, <laughs> genius. But it was all about how, the song Hallelujah and, and, and its history. And now I have, I, for the longest time, because people know about it, and I only learned about it from reading uh, actually Jeff Buckley's um, biography, um, in where the idea is, is that Buckley's version was lifted off of John Cale's version. John Cale was the first one to start taking all the different verses and making it his own, so on and so forth. And so when I saw that documentary and I'm like, oh, they're telling it right. I actually know this information, mm-hmm. so I know they're right. I know everything. And again, that's different than a certain type of historical documentary, but we need more things that we can say, this is all correct. And mm-hmm. we're not getting out of anything. So it should be where Hollywood versions can do what they want within reason, of course. Documentary's got to be tightened up. Peter Jackson can just keep making nine hour installations about yeah. whatever it is that we happen to be. I went through a big Beatles phase in the, in the Panini. So I was like, Peter Jackson made this just for me. Just like he made Lord of the Rings just for me. So uh, I'm going to say that he is tasked with making all future documentaries. <laughs> I apologize. This is the first time I've heard of the pandemic referred to as the Panini. Really? Look, if you, I, <laughs> the I can. Rama, the, the Panda the, Express. The Panda Tony. Like. <laughs> Panini's my my verbiage of choice because it makes light of a really horrible subject matter yeah. that I am not emotionally in touch enough to be able to comprom- uh, compartmentalize healthily. So, <laughs> well, I'm not I'm not I'm not complaining or making fun of. I just I just heard it. I'm like, that's the first I've heard that before. Yay! I well, definitely I stole it from that, a drag queen. <laughs> although I will say, now that you mentioned it, Peter Jackson's had a hell of a transition into like documentary filmmaker. Like, not only well, I haven't seen Get Back yet. But, so uh, they shall not grow old is an amazing experience and i wish they would have released that on home video in 3d because mm-hmm. i went and saw it in 3d because it's like I, I review 3d for this site and it's like ah, uh, could this really be like just 3d really serve a documentary like this it did it was amazing how much it put you the audience into like this hundred year old footage from world war one and I'm still mad that we didn't get the theatrical experience for Get Back. Like, I know it was originally theatrical, and then it's like, oh, well, now we're just expanding it to six hours. It could be nine, but we're going to six. And I, I don't know Peter Jackson's voice, so I'm just not even, that was just random stock Australia. You do know his voice. You just don't realize it. I, here's, what, here's what I'm going to say about that transition, though. Um <laughs> Because it was crucial in that transition. Is that what you're going to say? Well, no. Well, look, I was a Peter Jackson fan from like a long time ago. Before Frighteners came out, I was a Peter Jackson fan because I, I had seen Brain Dead, Dead Alive to me when it came out. Um, and so I hunted down and I, so I saw Meet the Feebles before. Pe- and as he grew and got popular, people found those things. But I think the one Peter Jackson thing that people never found or forgot about was it was not a documentary, but he made a short film called Forgotten Silver. Mm-hmm. In where in where he may, he makes up a story about George Lucas and love and what it, what and how it kind of affected how he made Star Wars like and it was not but it's like kind of like this faux documentary thing in a lot of ways so he had a lot of that kind of in his background a little bit but not a real documentary I just thought, I just find it interesting I wonder how that compares to George Lucas and Love the uh, short film where 
I, I, I think it was like a more fictionalized version of like, oh, this is Shakespeare in love, but how George- You know what? Lucas- I think I may be mixing the two. I don't figure out in Silver is not about George Lucas at all. I think I'm mixing both movies up. Because there was that, uh, Lisa Jacob, the eldest daughter from Mrs. Doubtfire was in it as like the woman that apparently inspired Leia. And like, it was this whole- Yeah, story. I'm mixing both movies up and I'm, I'm making an ass of myself in doing so. Also, you evoked Shakespeare in Love, which co-stars Ben Affleck, star of Argo. <laughs> ben Affleck in period movies is 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 so not much right. It's not right. I love him so much as Richard Burbage, but like he is the most. Some people have a very contemporary look about them, and they don't work in period pieces. And he is one of them. And then the uh, much maligned at the beginning of the show, Laura Linney, has an ageless and eonless visage where she only works at period pieces, arguably. <laughs> so are you going to, to take this moment to officially denounce Ben Affleck's appearance in The Last Duel? Ooh, you know what? I sure haven't seen that. I would like to watch it with my intoxicant of choice, though. I feel like that's the only way to get anything out of that movie. Ooh, I'm <laughs> so good at it, but he is definitely more modern. Is he a real, a real Boston swordsman? Yeah, well, I would, I would actually say, I would actually say for the last duel, don't be intoxicated for that one. Really? Yeah, I would say actually, like, sit and let that one. That's one. Okay. I actually, I had a hard time watching it because I had the worst headache in the world. Oh, okay. While watching it. <laughs> But that movie actually is, uh, you know, it, I think it's also actual proof. Forgetting about whether you want to say yes, yay or nay to, to Ben Affleck's performance part of it, or yay or nay to all the people who are playing Frenchmen, not with French accents. Oh, man, no, possible. But um, <laughs> oh, the Valkyrie syndrome. But I think it goes. I think I it, do like even Valkyrie, though it's adapted. <laughs> even though it's adapted, I think it goes to show, even though they only did it twice now, that Affleck and Damon are pretty good screenwriters. Oh yeah. So Although, can I come back in like ten years and can we can we talk about this movie? <laughs> but the last duel, I yeah. Would once say, it, once I, I every, think we could do it next week, honestly. <laughs> uh, I was going to say that too because that is a movie that definitely feels like just some between the studio politics and everything and the time. For it was, sure. That's well, an overdue rental. Ridley Scott didn't help himself with his whole like millennials outburst he thing needs about to it. Not like some people just need to be like, here, assistant, you tweet for me. I'm not going on the internet ever again. And well, he I- has done worse because let's not forget his Exodus, uh, Muhammad so and so outburst. Because they were. I don't talking- even know what you're talking about. Well, oh, again, we're going back to the this the I guess. Uh, 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 appropriate subject of not casting ethnically correct uh, leads because Exodus had uh, Joel Edgerton and Christian playing Egyptian. Yeah. Then they basically took uh, Ridley Scott to task and that was like when that sort of thing was starting to become in vogue. And he's like, oh, well, you know, it's a studio movie. They don't, uh, people won't go and see Muhammad so-and-so or it was like along those lines. And it's like- I, I am going to say one thing and then we're going to wrap this up, unfortunately, because we all have to go do our things. But I'm going to say one thing and I'm not trying to justify certain castings in the world and this other stuff, but I will say that there is a part of me that, I don't want to see this happen, but there are certain actors in this world. I'm going to take, uh, I'm, I'm looking up something because I don't want to, I don't want to uh, mis- mispronounce somebody's name as well. Well, while um, you're doing that, Ashley and I are going to make plans to have not only Valkyrie, but Last Duel on this podcast because- <laughs> I saw Valkyrie this year for the first time and it is, you're right about the accent thing, but it is one, so good. And two, anything that Kenneth Branagh is in, I will pay for. I, I, I honestly don't mind if people omit the accent if they can't do it. 
I agree. I would rather that yeah. than like Kevin Costner's Robin Hood. Well, as long as as long as every as long as it's like it's across the board for everybody, you know, yeah. in the entire film. Exactly but, what it is, and unfortunately, that movie also is touched by the horrible monster that is Brian Singer. Yeah, well, yes. what I what I was gonna say though is that there are certain actors, and John Turturro is one of them. Cliff Curtis is another one of them, who are technically, in a lot of ways, people don't know what their what their actual nationality, ethnic background is. You know, Cliff Curtis has played everything from. Uh, somebody from a Spanish background to somebody from a Middle Eastern background. John Turturro has been Italian, Spanish, Jewish, everything. And I don't care. People like them, I don't care what you cast them in because they're always so great in it. And like, I feel wrong saying it because I don't want somebody to feel like they have been, um, you know, misaligned, not properly... Uh, um, yeah, not properly represented on screen. Yeah, right, yeah exactly. Um, All these things... And I, I don't want to, and that's, it's horrible for these people that that don't get the chances, but if I'm going to see a movie and you're going to show me John Turturro is playing somebody Jewish as somebody who is an atheist Jew, but, you know, still Jewish, I do not care. So, Matthew, have you watched the Armageddon Time trailer yet? No, because I refuse to watch trailers. I will see it at the festival. That's all I got to say. That is a, a Jewish family where you've got Jeremy Strong, Anne Hathaway, Ben Affleck, not Ben Affleck, uh, <laughs> Anthony Hopkins. Although- You thought Anthony Hopkins was Ben Affleck. Anthony, you've done, all right, this isn't spoilers, obviously, but there's this thing where like he's giving this rousing speech to his grandson and he's like, when people talk about, when people talk about people like that, you stand up and say something. You're a mensch. Blah, blah, blah. And it's like, I never thought I'd hear Anthony Hopkins ever say you're a mensch, but it's it's again, it's it. it's weird to say because again I don't want to have misrepresentation in any way whatsoever. And there are but there are certain cases where it's obvious that you shouldn't do this, and other cases where it's like I just don't care as long as they get it right. Because again, that's the whole thing about actors. I mean, the whole point is like I granted they shouldn't be like I'm gonna put blackface on or something like that. That's obviously makes no again and with the the caveat of where you're making that point like the robert downey mm -hmm. jr and tropic thunder that's the whole point we're we're saying how wrong this is and that's why we're doing this but there's this there's this thing about like it's all about crawling into somebody else's skin and not saying again that you should push somebody away if they're they're the right person for it but allowing somebody to kind of do that i think is okay in a way and again it's case by case basis so it, it all depends and it's it has to come down to what like the storytellers and the actor wants to do. Like my yes. agent once submitted me for a production of In the Heights. And I was like, please do not. In fact, <laughs> I will not be going to this audition because I am the white people version of ethnically ambiguous. Um, and they were like, well, you look like you could be Spanish. And I'm like, I'm not, I won't be going. Don't ever do that again to me. How, how dare, how dare, how dare, how dare. But <laughs> I have auditioned for Anne Frank a number of times. And I did learn from 23 Me this year that I am 0.2% Ashkenazi Jewish. So it oh, wasn't hey. a lie. <laughs> I found out that if, if my math is correct and if my family recounting everything is correctly, I believe I'm one eighth because my mother's, my grandmother, my maternal grandmother was half, I believe. No, yeah, half. It's not, it's a religion though. I don't get it. I, I'm not, I don't believe in it. <laughs> but anyway. let's, let's not go into the religion versus oh, no, 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 debate no, no. of it all. Then we will all fully be canceled. Okay. Talk about so the with Christ, <laughs> but with that, I will not be coming back for that movie. <laughs> Here's a hint. Neither will we. <laughs> Here's a hint. It's already happening. Mel Gibson's on next week. 
Oh, that you see, I would. It, we're gonna bring him on for the singing detective, Matthew's favorite remake. Uh, You're not well, gonna bring him on for Hacksaw Ridge. <laughs> I, know, I, I will tell you. I, I will be honest with you. Him for Hacksaw Ridge. No, I will gladly have Mel Gibson on the show to talk about Man Without a Face. <laughs> or that, like, or Forever Young, or like, I, yes, you know, absolutely. I would, I, I would talk to him about that movie and not engage past that. Yeah, yeah, well, that's yeah, good because yeah. I think I have an opportunity to get him on the show. We'll find out. Anyway, cool. with that, Thank everybody, <laughs> go cross off Argo off your overdue rentals list. Make sure to go see it. Ashley, if people need to find you, where can they find you? You can find me all over the internet at Ashley V. Robinson. The V is very important because Ashley Robinson is a WNBA player who's taller than me and I don't want to fight her for SEO. You can find my podcast, Geek History Lesson, where all fine podcasts are found on the internet. Uh, I don't know when this is coming out. So if you're coming to D23 or New York City Comic Con or MCM in London at the end of October, I will be at all of those. Please run up on me and say hello. And it, it, uh, It's going out tomorrow. <laughs> great. Then you can find me at all of those. And um <laughs> You can find me wandering around Los Angeles trying not to pass away in this horrible, horrible heat. And Mike, where can people find us? Well, when we're not busy trying to get a word in edgewise about how we've come so far that we could go from giving Jared Leto an Oscar from playing a trans person to canceling a Scarlett Johansson film about <laughs> a trans person. Uh, I have a lot to say about all of that. All I'm going to say is that <laughs> progress and representation does indeed fucking matter. Yes. Uh, there you go. Um, we would like to represent ourselves as the Overdue Rentals podcast, which if you want to find us on social media, because that's where all the cool kids are posting their Chris Pine memes these days, you can find Posted us- one today. <laughs> you can find us on TikTok and Instagram at Overdue Rentals Show, on Twitter at Rentals Overdue, and on Facebook at Overdue Rentals. And unfortunately, none of those are available on a flip phone. However, if by some reason you remember the old trick that you could text an email address, or if you want to actually send an email to our email address with suggestions for future episodes, love letters, uh, historical, your own historical accuracy grade for Argo, you can email us at overdurentals at gmail.com. But you're already on the internet. Uh, I don't know what time you're listening to this or where you're listening to this. All I'm saying is if you're sleeping or if you're safely operating a motor vehicle, do not go browsing on the internet while you are listening to this. Just soak it in. You can always do what I'm about to tell you to do when you get home or pull off at McDonald's. That was dark. Pull over at McDonald's. Pull over at McDonald's. I have to very, you know, we're not, I, I am not encouraging people to pull. Well, anyway, uh, you can find us wherever you ethically source your podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Anchor, Spotify, Audible, anywhere you find pleasurable ear candy, we're going to be there. Uh, at least I think so. I mean, again, if I heard radio wants to make a sweetheart deal and, and bring us under the umbrella, that'd be really cool. But in order to really boost the signal on that, you're going to have to help us here. One last thing. Again, internet stuff. Don't do it while you're driving. Don't do it while you're sleeping. Don't do it while you're at your kid's soccer game. Well, if you do it at your kid's soccer game, if you're like, you got a moment, you're already looking at your emails, you can rate, review, and subscribe to the Overdue Rentals podcast so we can keep the Overdue Rental counter open and keep doing episodes like the one with the wonderful Ashley Victoria, but I like to think the V stands for Victory Robinson. So after all that horrific spiel and all of the landmines we've stepped on and avoided along the way, there's only one last thing we have to say here, Matthew. Bye-bye.